We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to another episode of The Roar. Brought to you by Blue Wire. I'm your host, Billy Marshall. It's been a little bit of a hiatus, a little uncommon for us after the draft, but uh, we had some personal uh, challenges along the way here the past <laughs> week or so, and delighted to be joined by my co-host, John Ellis, Mr. One Panther Place on Twitter. John, what's up, man? Oh, man, it's good to be back, Billy. Yeah, no, personal challenges aside, no, we, we've been following all the news here with uh, what was an interesting draft. We haven't done a show since. Uh, we did the big preview with Matt Bowen. And I'm curious to get, you know, your perspective and, and share mine as well with, like, what happened in this draft. And, and, of course, what we'll do tomorrow here, folks, just to let you know, Bill and I talked about this a minute ago, the schedule release, we know when you hear this, you'll be probably getting an idea of who the Panthers are playing. Coming up tomorrow, we'll break down the full schedule for you. Already some games being leaked, which I love. But, uh, yeah, it's good to be back, man. Yeah, it's it's awesome. I just, uh, you know, I love doing this, uh, especially talking ball with you. It's, yeah, man. Uh, it's definitely one of um, the best parts about um, creating content. And, uh, you know, the Panthers were certainly in the news uh, during the draft uh, for good reason. Nothing too crazy went, ha- went on. But um, I think there's been a lot of recap and whatnot of what direction they took and uh, I know some of you also heard my individual podcast before the draft mm-hmm. when we released and about what direction they should go. And that's day two. And uh, they did listen to me. They did go with the <laughs> wide receiver option at 39. They did. But, um, not much surprise at the top, John. We knew that was coming. And I mean, they made the sensible decision. Yeah, they did. I mean, Bryce Young, uh, and I, I just want to let our listeners know here, thanks for uh, supporting the Roar podcast. We're, we're, we're so happy to be back together. We'll be doing more of these throughout the offseason. But I had a chance to be there on site for what was just a great draft experience. And again, the, the Panthers are trending up in a lot of ways for me uh, because they're running their operation like an NFL team again. And the way they opened up their doors to the stadium to fans, my kids had a chance to go on the field during draft night. Uh, you had uh, Anish Shroff, our good buddy there, with Jake DeLome, Luke Keekley doing some festivities. And uh, I, I dropped my kids off while I was doing a broadcast over at another uh, bar for 99.7 The Fox with our good buddy Mike Kay from the Charlotte Observer. And it, it was funny because I'm calling my son and he's like, uh, Dad, Dad, and I could barely hear him. I was like, what? He said, we got Bryce Young. I said, yeah, I kind of knew we would. He said, and I'm in the locker room. So they got a chance to like 
tour the locker room and, and go on the field. They opened it up to the whole public, so it was great. But that notwithstanding, yeah, Billy, to your point, I think you know, you're know you the one that sort of set this in motion with at least our podcast early on. Look, right after the Combine, the entire world, the present company included, myself, I'll say that C.J. Stroud was sort of my favorite quarterback of the bunch just based on the mechanics, based on the fact that he's got a clean release and all the the good things we saw in him. But the more we started looking at tape, and then you certainly influenced my opinion a little bit based on the fact that Bryce Young had always kind of been your QB1 there. And then you start talking to people around the league. You talk to a few scouts, uh, you, guys like Matt Bowen, who obviously thinks very highly of Young. The only concern would be the frame, I think, and, and we got to keep this guy upright. But uh, no, you're getting a diamond, dynamic playmaker, dynamic personality, a guy who tested very well uh, with the S2 cognitive, as we know, and, and a guy that obviously can make all the throws. I, I love the comparison that, uh, that Matt Bowen made about Joe Burrow. I think there's a lot of that in his tape. Again, size, frame, we'll talk about that you know, throughout the show, but I'm excited to watch him play. I, I like the fact they've got Andy Dalton as a, a veteran backup to bring him along that doesn't have a lot of ego, doesn't have you know the, the real sense that, okay, I'm really going to be the starter here. I think he knows what his role is, but you've got him in the building to help usher this in, and from all accounts, Dalton has gotten rave reviews from Justin Fields, uh, among other people, as far as like what a mentor he was, so... Yeah, they made the right pick, no doubt, with Bryce Young. I think uh, Stroud it, it can have a very good career. And Anthony Richardson, hey, look, all the reporting I've seen, Billy, seems to indicate he was kind of QB2 on the Panthers' board. So it was interesting. Yeah, I've, I've implied that as well, uh, just based on a lot of the reporting that I've read uh, in the aftermath. I have no intel to suggest. I don't know what their board looks right, like. I mean, right. no one should tell me that's... Uh, <laughs> I mean, at this stage of like where gambling is in sports betting in the NFL, that stuff should be more secret than like CIA documents. <laughs> right. um, players are getting um, you're suspended for games for just simply betting, but yeah. that's a different story. But Bad stuff. Uh, no, John, I, I totally agree. I think this was the most logical selection. And, you know, I, I go back to last year, uh, the college football year. I mean, the best quarterback throughout the year was Bryce Young. And, you know, what convinced me that he is like the top QB was the fact that he was uh, playing with a surrounding cast that typically isn't at the level of Alabama um, is usually at. Like they didn't have like the Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smiths, uh, the John Mechies, the Jamison Williams, right, those yeah. guys, they were not on this team. Yep. Um, and for Bryce to really elevate that situation, I think that speaks a lot about what he's able to do. And I, I think I'm really excited to see him in this offense. There's going to be some Sean McVay influence with Thomas Brown in the fold. And uh, obviously Frank Reich is going to have his imprint on it as well. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it should be a really fascinating offseason. I'm looking forward to hearing your reports when you're down in Spartanburg. Um, oh yeah. Just one thing I want to get your perspective on, because a lot of people made a big deal of it. I don't personally make a big deal of it. I just want to get your perspective because uh, we want to be fair. Uh, and I think we were a little harsh on the uh, process Matt Rule took of getting Iquanu the starter to become a starter. Uh, do you make anything of Andy Dalton as like the starter right now? Uh, I, I personally don't. I, I'll worry about that, you know, the second or third week of training camp if it still remains that way. Well, I think we were harsh on Matt, but I think Matt had built up very little capital in terms of trust with some of the decisions he had made up to that point. But no, point well taken. As far as this goes, 
Look, I, I've, I've spoken with guys like, again, the aforementioned Mike Kay, our good friend from the Charlotte Observer and others. He was on my show down here on uh, iHeartRadio yesterday. And, and I asked him that question. And I got asked that question when I was on a station in Charlotte the other day with our good buddies Mac and Bone. And I think we all kind of agree that, you know, look, it's kind of what you say. It's their philosophy that you're not going to just crown him the starter. There's no real incentive to do that right now. You know, he's a, a bright enough guy, Bryce, to understand what this is, what this means. He's the future. I mean, David Tepper is obviously the guy who runs this team, and there's no way David Tepper would want to see Andy Dalton as the starter for much of this season. He's the guy. <laughs> I mean, yeah. look, you, you know, he's going to be the guy, Bryce. Now, week one, I look, things can happen. I don't know. Maybe he gets into training camp, and, and things are a little bit slower than he thought they would be. I, it, it's going to be interesting. It's a brand-new coaching staff. A very good one, but new philosophies than, than we've seen before. It's an offensive staff, so maybe there's some sort of measure here to take their time with them. I'm not too worried about it because, again, seven-year plan is out of my mindset now. This is sort of a, you know, kind of like when Newton came back into the league. It's a different quarterback, different situation. But, again, what you want to see from Young, I think, is just some some early reps in training camp. They will split time, obviously, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if Dalton's running with the ones at some point. I wouldn't freak out about it. Aquano, to me, was a different situation. Um, but I will say this, that what you want to see, I think, from any rookie quarterback, there will be hard times. There will be moments where it's not great. Man, Burrow had some of those moments. Uh, Trevor Lawrence had some of those moments. These were bona fide consensus almost consensus in some cases number one overall picks so with young you know there will be some bumps in the road along the way that's just going to be how it is but you want to see towards you know thanksgiving i always talk about this end of the december months him trending up that's what newton did in year one in year two and then into year three uh they were off and rolling and so i think that's always my reference point going back to number one overall picks as a quarterback because that's the last time the panthers did it so I, I don't care who's starting really in the preseason. I don't really care who's getting the most reps. I'm not going to go nuts about it because a lot of that anxiety from the fans and even the question marks I had came from the lack of trust I had in this staff going back to the last regime. I, I'm giving this staff a little more trust, a little more leeway. It doesn't mean I won't question some decisions they make. Obviously, we will. But uh, I think you've got a much more competent group of people. Hell, you got like Jim Caldwell in there, McCown, uh, Thomas Brown. Uh, Sean Jefferson, I mean, Deuce Staley, and, and then Frank Reich, who's done this for a minute. So I'm not too worried about it, not at all. Yeah, uh, same here. And, and again, I'll, I'll be worried about it if it's this if he names you know Dalton the starter week one, which I don't expect that to be the case. Right, and I think yeah. Andy Dalton is pretty much a professional at this stage of his career. He knows what his role is. Um, you know, he didn't sign a contract here knowing that he's going to be like the day one 17 game week starter um in addition to that i also think that we'll discuss this when the schedule is released but i don't think we're this regime and uh, i don't know how the fan base feels obviously we always want to win i'm not suggesting this team is in for a uh, rebuild but i also think the expectations should be tempered maybe a little bit um Mm -hmm. as far as their win loss record is concerned i'm not I have no idea what they're going to finish with. I haven't really made my prediction. There's still so much of the off season. There's plenty of free agents out there. Vegas is saying seven and a half right now, Billy. Yeah, that seems totally fair. Yeah. And I think seven to nine, seven to eight wins seems pretty in line. I know Atlanta, uh, there's some quarterback question marks, but they do have a very talented roster that they improved this off season. 
but again, we'll get into that when the schedule is released. But let's transition out of day two. And this was uh, the really uh, the intrigue for us because we kind of had an idea that Bryce was going to be the guy for about a couple weeks before the draft. Um, I've been harping on it since they made the trade, John, that wide receiver should still be under strong consideration. Yeah. I even reiterated that point after they signed Adam Thielen and DJ Chark, uh, just because of where Thielen is at in his career. And uh, Chark is on a one-year deal and hasn't really proven uh, that he can stay healthy. Uh, the same thing goes for their current wide receiver core. Uh, Marshall definitely flashed uh, under the Wilkes regime towards the end of the year. Uh, but again, he has to prove that he can stay healthy. And he was drafted uh, in the later part of the second round because of the issues surrounding some of his durability. Uh, but for me, Jonathan Mingo, John, this was just, I know some people thought, you know, there should be some other guys go ahead of him. When I felt like for this Frank Reich offense, this is the ideal player to put in, uh, to draft. And I thought there was a lot of reports that he could go at the back end of the first round. Um, so for them to get him right at 39, didn't have to do any type of crazy trade up or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I love it. I mean, you know, Mingo is, you know, Greg Cosell talked about it and I'm sure we're going to get Greg on here uh, soon enough, but oh, yeah. he mentioned that uh, a lot of the way his alignment versatility and run after catch competitiveness, it reminded him of Debo Samuel and AJ Brown. Uh, I think yeah. there's a lot of comparisons to AJ Brown and I'm not saying he's going to become that. I certainly don't want to say that, but he's just that big bodied receiver. He has a very well proportioned frame. I mean, he's a physical presence. He has very, he's a very competitive after the catch. He has, uh, does really well in contested ball situations. Um, once Lane Kiffin really figured out how to, unlock his potential by uh, playing him in different roles, whether it's H back or a tight end or in the backfield or even slot and out wide, just moving him around. He really did a good job. And I think what this offense will do for a guy like Mingo, um, they're going to use him everywhere. And he's going to be a full-time player. In my opinion, I don't think he's just a part-time gadget guy. I think he's going to play um, a pretty significant amount of snaps early and, uh, they're going to use him uh, in different locations to take advantage of his versatility. And he still has some things to work on. Like, I don't think he's the best guy at um, creating separation off his release, and he has to improve in that aspect. But I think that's where you really try to um, hide those issues by playing him all over the uh, formation. And so, yeah, I thought this was an outstanding selection. I mean, he has the athleticism and the production, uh, and you give Bryce Young a young wide receiver that he can grow with. Um, we saw the Bengals do something similar when they took Burrow and then T. Higgins in the in the second round. So I, I really love it. I think Mingo is a, a guy I really wanted, um, and I'm happy that they were able to land him. Well, Billy, remember Scott Fitter had talked about somebody. He dropped that little nugget in his press conference. I think you know what I'm talking about, where they had a guy in for a visit, and you know they they really enjoyed. The conversation and the narrative. Now, I I don't know. I don't know. Do we ever resolve if that was Mingo or not? But I know he was in for a, a top thirty visit. But I have to imagine they love him for for more than just that. I mean, you you read some of the stuff on him about how modest he is and, and what a team player he is, and he's just, he got you know, just a very little ego and an issue. It's in terms of coming in and thinking, okay, I got to be the number one guy. Even in college, he was a team player first, and that's what you hear from people around that operation. And obviously the measurables, I mean, we, we look at 
you know, our good friend Dane Brugler, who put together the Beast Draft Guide. Again, I'm, I'm looking at some of the measurables that he put together in his guide here. Six, one and a half, 220. And the production continued to increase over year, over year. You talk about second team All-SEC. Uh, he had, you know, the rushing production, too. You were able to get him in, in that game, much like you talked about, Debo Samuel. A lot of similarities there. I heard somebody comp him to Anquan Bolden. And I think there's a lot of that physicality as well. A lot of what he does and a lot of what Frank Reich does, and I think you're so right about this, is inside the numbers. And you're going to have that sort of triangle read stuff going on with Bryce Young to where you need that big physical body on the inbreakers, on, on, the, on the digs, on the slants to be able to box up and body up. It is like playing power forward in a lot of ways, down low. And he's got that frame. And there's been, you know, sort of a heritage there of guys at Ole Miss that have come out with that sort of quality about them. And there's certain type of players that are a little bit different, but you talk about Brown, talk about Metcalf, and then Mingo's got some of those measurables that you really like. Again, is a guy that can come right in. Um, he, he, to me, is is not going to be like the ultimate separator, as you talked about. But yeah, he can be a boundary X type of guy. He can be a power slot type of guy. He can be a, a legitimate receiver. And this is a weird draft for receivers, Billy, in that you you had a lot of undersized guys. A lot of guys like Hyatt, uh, Downs, that are good. Even Zay Flowers, great players, and can each bring their own type of skill set. But I think this is one of the more complete receivers in terms of the measurables and, and things he's going to work on there. You know, Obviously, you want to get a little quicker out of your release. You want to be able to separate a little more. But he put up great production, and again, I know he played with Matt Corral. Matt's on the roster. Maybe they picked his brain a little bit. Who knows? But once again, I, I just think his attitude's in the right place. Um, Lane Kiffin uh, just loves the guy. Quote, never complains about catches or playing time. That's according to his college coach. Uh, and again, as Dane Brugler writes here, came back from injury to start every game and set career best as a senior. So he trended up, and uh, I think that's why his stock uh, went as high as it did. So was I surprised? Uh, a, a little bit, but back to your point, you were talking about receiver over and over. And and look, I think with this addition, this position group, the, the pass-catching group as a whole, with the tight end upgrade, I believe, with Hayden Hurst, uh, I, I think out of the backfield you get good stuff with Miles Sanders. He He can do that. And the receiving core as a whole, I know losing DJ Moore sucks and I hate it, but I don't see it as a group of weakness right now. I, I think it's a pretty damn good group. Yeah, I, I think it's certainly um, from where they were after they traded Moore, which in my opinion was at the bottom of the league. Yeah. Um, wherever you want to rank them, you can rank them. But I think uh, throughout this offseason, free agency and the draft, I think they certainly moved into a respectable position. Again, I don't... I haven't ranked all the receiving groups in the NFL, right? Uh, so I'll, I'll let uh, others do that. I know right. Mike Clay, who works at ESPN, oh, he yeah. does that. Yeah. Um, I haven't really checked out where the Panthers rank, but they were pretty again, low. It's... Pretty low, but I think a lot of that's fantasy related. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I yeah. don't worry about that. A lot. It's like draft grades. I mean, let's let it play out. Yeah, for sure. And I think one more thing um, to mention is that. Uh, the ball distribution in a Frank Reich or even a Sean McVay offense, um, it's pretty similar as far as they like to distribute the ball all around. And when you're bringing in yep. this point guard-like quarterback now with Bryce Young, who likes to distribute the ball to many targets, I think that um, – I'm not saying that it's a positive not having a number one receiver because it always is, in my opinion. But I just think like uh, this type of offense lends itself to uh, – 
three or four guys or five guys getting seeing potentially multiple targets a game. Yeah, um, and they, so. they they each have a, a kind of a niche in a way. I mean, Thielen is is a slot threat, obviously within the Frank Reich structure in the red zone. I mean, that, you look at his tape last year; he's had thirty touchdowns over the past three years. So it's not like he's completely fallen off. But the, you're right; the, he's getting older, and that is as Phil Sims always says: you never get faster. So there's going to be diminishing returns on that. In the red zone, you can count on him as a reliable route runner, as a guy that can separate enough in the red zone to give you production. And the red zone has been just terrible here the last few years, especially in the passing game. And I think to the point you mentioned about Bryce Young, he is a creator. He's a guy that likes to get out in space and and find you know players that can make plays. I think Chenault, too, is a guy to, to, to keep an eye on. I, I think they'll keep him, honestly, because I, I think they value the fact that they have – Right now, a new running back sort of focus with Miles Sanders. Uh, Foreman was the hammer back there. But Chenault in space can do a lot of the same things that we talk about that, that Mingo does. He's sort of a light version of, of, of Debo Samuel and that you can incorporate him in the bubble screen game but also get him on those jet sweeps. And Much like Mingo, Chenault is a guy that doesn't go down easy. And that's what I love about those two players. So everybody's got their own little role. Can Marshall continue to evolve and we talked about Marshall with Greg Cosella for the draft he played every position on the field at receiver played the x played the y played inside played boundary x played the z so you can do a lot with him too and now I think you've got some more advanced passing minds in the building it's going to be fun to see how they cook it all up oh for sure um yeah I just I think there's a lot of depth in here too so if again Uh, you do see the injury bug pop up for a guy like Chark again, or if AT suffers um, some type of you know setback and you know, yeah. he's getting up there in age, I think there's enough depth in this receiver room now to feel comfortable if one of those guys were to miss some time. Okay, um, third round pick. This was probably the only questionable selection of this entire draft for me, mm-hmm. and it's not because of the player itself. Uh, well, partially it can be, but... I also think um, I also think I don't think it was necessary to trade up. And again, some people are going to probably uh, you know can complain that say, hey, you know, who cares? It's just a fourth round pick. But uh, when you're this franchise and you're kind of limited with draft capital in the future, I think you have to be pretty cognizant of the fact that uh, you have to make every pick worth it. And uh, for me. DJ Johnson is an interesting guy because I, I, I'll be honest, I did not watch him prior to the draft. I knew of him, yeah, uh, but I didn't really study him as much as some of the other guys. Uh, but if you do look at some of the projections, some people did have him in this range, like fourth, fifth round. Some people thought third round. Um, yeah, a couple things that stand out. I mean, he is an older prospect. Uh, he began his career at Miami and after one season transferred back to Oregon. And he, you know, played uh, for the Ducks uh, for a few years. And then uh, he had decent production for them last year. Uh, one thing that immediately stands out about his game is he has very good straight line speed. I mean, he ran a 4.49.40, uh, which I think is very impressive. Uh, and he's pretty relentless. And I, I think mm-hmm. he shows effort on every single uh, play and I think that's clearly a positive in his um in his mark uh, yeah. but I also just don't think he's a finished product right now and uh, a couple of reasons why that's concerning is that he's already an older guy uh he's 
a little tight hipped and I didn't really see the explosion off the snap as much as I would like to. Uh, he, again, when you're tight hip, that kind of limits your ability to really bend the edge. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what he, what he does a good job of is just really, if there's a lane out there, if he's coming off a stunt, he does a really good job of closing in quickly. Uh, I think he has some awareness issues and setting the edge against the run. Uh, you know, I'm, I don't want to say I'm disappointed because there's still some edge rushers out there that they can, uh, really f- fine to compliment Brian Burns. But if there's one thing I'm concerned about right now with this edge rushing group, it's the same thing I've been concerned about for the past few years, and it's their ability to stop the run. Uh, again, there's some guys out there in free agency, whether it's Dunlap, Leonard Floyd, Justin Houston, et cetera, like Frank Clark, I think is another guy. I, those guys would be pretty ideal solutions. But um, you know, for me with Johnson, I just was not a fan of the trade up specifically and trading up for him. Uh, I thought that was a, a little bit too rich, but um, I, I mean, I definitely see some of the potential he has. Uh, but yeah, that's just the only question mark of an otherwise pretty good draft. It was just this selection. Yeah, all I can say to that is they they must have really liked him uh, at that spot, and they must have gotten the sense that as as these trades go, that, that another team was about to swoop in and get him, and then that that leads you sometimes to to shop a little hungry in the draft and. Maybe that's what happened here, but in terms of what he brings to the table, again, 6'4", 260, that's a big edge size there. Of course, that, that's the kind of physical traits, 80 and an 8-inch wingspan. Uh, the, the straight lines we talk about, he ran a sub 4'5", and he played tight end. I mean, this is a two-way player. This is a guy who played Ironman in Oregon. I mean, he was out there catching pass. I looked at some of his, his tape after the draft, and I'm like you, I didn't really know much about this player before the draft, not as much as I should have, obviously. But uh, he's a guy that, you know, you talk about he, he kind of plays with a, a certain chip on his shoulder, and he's got a little – again, I, I don't want to make the comparison of a Greg Hardy because Greg Hardy was on another planet, you know, on a lot of manners there. But he, he does have some history in terms of I think he took a, a sucker punch at a player. Um, and those are things I'm sure he's worked through. But – he he seems to me to be kind of like the edge-setting, run-stopping edge player uh, more than the, the guy that they're expecting to come in and, and be, you know, a, a, not a day one, but obviously in the, the course of the season to be a consistent pass-rushing force. And I think there's some value in that within this defense. He's played in a 3-4 system with Dan Lanning in terms of the base stuff they ran. So I think you're going to get, obviously, a guy who can – he can he can stand up. He can you know get his hand in the dirt a little bit. I, I think he's going to be a guy they try to feature early in the preseason, the camp as well, to see what his strengths and weaknesses are. But I, I have a lot of question marks about what he will be in this defense. I, I think again, if I had to make a guess, they're looking at him more as sort of a guy that can you know do some things aside from just rushing the passer. Um, you can float him out in coverage a little bit. He's got the range and size and the athleticism to do that. Um, but I think he could be a pretty good run stopper. That's just the, what I'm hearing from people that that know his game a little bit. So we'll see. There's some upside. Um, but does any time you, you trade up, there's an extra microscope on these players when you're you're giving up draft capital of any kind. So that, that'll be something we consider when we watch his development. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't want to spend too much time harping on him. I mean, no, like I, you said, I definitely think he has upside, but... Um, just looking at the edge rush room now, I think the competition in that department, uh, it, it's going to be very interesting to watch unfolds. Yes. Uh, and because they'll definitely have good competition 
uh, that they'll be going up against in training camp with Mo and Andy Kwanu. So, uh, yeah, let's okay. uh, kind of just monitor that situation. Uh, day three, uh, I thought I really liked both of their selections on day three. Uh, they went to the ACC uh, conference to grab two guys, uh, Chandler Zavala, uh, yeah. the guard from North Carolina State. Icky's old teammate. Yep, reunites with the Kwanu. Uh, another older prospect, but uh, I thought in the fourth round, taking him where they did. Ideal selection. I mean, he has a powerful, powerful like um, hands that when he's able to just get you, get his hands on you at the point of attack, he has enough core strength to just set an anchor and does a great job of just moving. Uh, he creates lateral displacement on combo blocks and yeah. working his way into the second level and running downs. I think he does his perfect like balance for a big guy uh, to kind of square up and just wall off linebackers. Uh, I do think he has a little bit of issues with this strike timing. Um, he can be a little late with his hands and uh, that can cause him some issues in pass protection, but he started 12 games at left guard uh, you know, his father is like this guy, celebrity <laughs> chef or guys, something. He's on guys' grocery games. I've seen this. <laughs> yeah. Um, he is actually a local guy to where I'm from, which is a D.C. area. He went to yeah. uh, high school in Forest Park, which nice. is in Woodbridge. Um, and he spent four years at a Division II college, Fairmont State, mm-hmm. and then transferred to NC State 2021. Um, and he had an injury issue that year. But all 17 of his starts at – uh, down in Raleigh, North Carolina, we're at left guard. Um, I thought he ter- played pretty well at the East-West Shrine game when I watched him. Did a pretty good job of uh, staying in control and balanced and showed his, you could really tell, looking at those close-up practice clips of his wide-bodied frame and just his yeah. athletic ability to kind of carry that. Um, and so, John, I mean, they have questions right now. I think Christensen should be healthy for the start of the season, but the Corbett one is going to be a very one interesting one to monitor. And I think he has an opportunity to earn a starting role, uh, which we don't really say about fourth round rookies, but uh, James Campman in the war room looked pretty ecstatic that they were able to get him. And I think this guy certainly has an opportunity to start in the absence of Corbett. Yeah. James Campman was, was hilarious in the war room. He was, <laughs> he was ecstatic. And I think whenever I see James Campman happy, I get happy because I, I trust that guy with my life. You mentioned Fairmount State. I mean, this guy, he's been playing college ball since 2017, off and on. And the pandemic threw everything off. So you've got these, uh, they call them the, the COVID seniors. Uh, 41 total games in college. Again, he had uh, 17 at NC State. And you look at his production, zero sacks allowed, only two penalties in those 17 games. That's outstanding. And you talked about his background. You know, it's fascinating. You mentioned the fact that uh, he's from Forest Park High. He only played one year in high school. And he's a guy that obviously came into you know Fairmont State is is a zero star recruit, um, but it goes to show you. I mean, he's got the work ethic, obviously, and then that's what coaches have raved about. He's also played in in some of that zone blocking stuff that we're going to be seeing with Frank Reich. So again, he he's got the scheme fit that you look for. He's got the build. I think. I mean, the, the arm length. Look, he's got the Brady Christensen arms, which works at guard. Six three and a half, three sixteen. The arms are thirty two and seven eighths, um, and I think he's just a, a mauler. I mean, I looked at some of the tape after the draft. From I went back to the Aquanu uh, archives because I knew I'd see Zavala right beside him. I was like, "Damn, that's a pretty brutal combo." One and two. So 
I didn't know much about him before the draft in terms of his backstory, but I'd seen him play in the ACC, and yeah, he fits right in. He's a guy, like you said, with I think Corbett's the, the big one the team is worried about right now in terms of will he be ready week one. And I don't know if he will be or not. It doesn't sound like it, 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 they're going to rush him back from this. I think it's smart. So now you got Cade Mays, who we know can play inside. And, you know, Cosell had raved about him last year. And I think, you know, you know how I feel about Cade Mays. I love the guy. And I think you now have – they've re-signed Cam Irving, by the way, if you all missed that as a swing tackle. I think that's a prudent move because, again, I talked about it last year. You, you put him in a position now where he can be – sort of your depth, and that's where he belongs. He's very good. He can play inside and outside in a pinch, and he can be your, they call it the Arby's package, a six-all line. He can come in and be your six-offensive lineman. But Zavala, yeah, I think he can start day one. He could be a guy if he has a good camp and catches the offense early. Um, he's a guy that's very competent, and he's a smart guy. Played in the, the East-West Shrine Bowl, and he can play both guard positions. So I'm looking forward to seeing his development. Yeah, uh, great, great point with your boy Cade Mays, man. <laughs> Love Cade Mays. Yeah, it, it's gonna it's gonna be fun. Uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to your training camp recaps, just because I yeah. think there's a lot of depth in this team now, and seeing how the competition works with the with an NFL coaching staff should be exciting. Um, they've come final a, guy, come a uh, long way Jamie, on that offensive line. They've come a long way on that line, Billy. Oh, for sure, and depth included. Yep. Um, Jamie Robinson, uh, the guy they took in the fifth round, mm-hmm. uh, guy I thought again. They drafted him probably, uh, I wouldn't call him a steal, but I was surprised to see him last this long. And uh, to me, the first guy that he reminds me of when I watched his tape was Chauncey Garner-Johnson. Yep. Like, I really wanted them Bing to draft in 2019, yep. but Marty Herney wanted a Big 12 quarterback <laughs> instead. Um, but, you know, with with Robinson, he's, um, you know, he has his tweener label. Uh, but if you actually watch him play, he is a hitter. He is not yeah. afraid of contact. He will come downhill with a full head of steam. And he has excellent experience working in this slot and potentially as an extra linebacker. Um, you know, in coverage, he showed instincts and range. And he has a speed to play center field as well. Uh, I thought he had pretty good recovery speed. Um, he Played at South Carolina for a few seasons before transferring to Tallahassee and playing for the Seminoles. Uh, But I think this is, uh, you're looking for the modern like NFL defender. I think this is it. I mean, he can do a lot with his versatility, whether it's matching up with tight ends or running backs and uh, potentially also dropping into different areas of the zone. And uh, you can also use him as a blitzer on run blitzes and also pass blitzes just because he is such a ferocious hitter. Um, again, the tweener label could be a little bit of an issue, but I don't really see it th- that way. I think he's, uh, I think he's a pretty excellent uh, prospect for where they got him. Uh, he's going to have to come in and compete. I mean, Jeremy Chin is probably that day one guy, but I think there's certainly packages that you can implement and give Robinson a chance as well. So, um, yeah, I'm pretty pleased with this selection. Well, I was uh, this point in the draft. This is what I do. I start looking at like, what what do they need? And again, I know there's this misnomer sometimes that uh, teams don't draft for need. Sometimes they do actually because you need something, go get it. It's right there sitting in front of you. And you know, I've been talking with people around the league about this, uh, and it's something I you know try to drive home weeks ago, even before kind of getting some input around the league. And I just think the nickel position is so critical. In this defense, and the idea that Jeremy Chin is just going to step in and play it is ridiculous because he's going to be, you know, the Buffalo big nickel that we've seen before with Colin Jones and other guys, and that's sort of a niche role. 
but an every down nickel player, maybe he can be that guy. Maybe he transforms into that guy because they don't have a lot of experience with guys who play inside at the nickel spot. They they added um oh what's his player Eric Rowe is his name and and he's played some nickel. Um, and I don't want to make too much out of this position, but it's critical in this defense. Uh, you know, Evero's talked about it, Fangio's talked about it, and I think Robinson's got the traits to do it. I, I, I project him more in the nickel in terms of their packaging than than at safety, honestly. Now, he's played in that too high structure. He's played with those late rotations that they do in this Fangio type of defense, so he can do some of that. But, man, he was all freshman AC, uh, SEC with South Carolina back in 2019. He's got a wealth of experience. He's got seven career interceptions, and he's a hitter. So now they've got guys in the secondary but between Horn's physicality and his versatility. Hopefully Dante can stay healthy. CJ, I don't know what to make of that, but you know he's got to get better or else he's going to be out of a job. And Von Bell is now in the mix, and he is a physical thumper. And they've got some smart guys in that secondary, not to mention Chin. So I think Woods is still on the roster. You've got real depth now at safety slash niche corner. And I think that's what I project him to be. Again, we'll see what happens at camp. Rookie minicamp's coming up this weekend. But he's a guy to me that, that can challenge for you know that, that slot corner position. And I think in, in this defense, you'll, you'll see Horn do some of that. They had him at that star uh, position for a while. Ramsey played that with Evero out there in L.A. But uh, I think Robinson's great. I watched him play in the ACC, and I was I was thoroughly impressed with not just his physicality and not just his instincts, but he's got an attitude about him. He's got a chip on his shoulder, and he plays that way. It's going to be fun to watch. Big guy, man. He's sort of a thick nickel. He's like five. Uh, what is he? Five ten and a half, two hundred at his pro day. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's pretty good size there. He can play a little bit of everything. Yeah, he's definitely just very similarly built to Gardner Johnson, and just oh, yeah. their playing styles are identical in a lot of ways. But. Um, Overall, John, I'm pretty pleased with this draft class. I mean, like I said, I have my questions about the process with trading up and getting DJ Johnson. But outside of that, I mean, you grab the best quarterback in this class, head and shoulders above everyone else, in my opinion. You grab a wide receiver target that I was really hoping for, and you supplemented in the depth on the offensive line and secondary uh, by grabbing two guys that I think uh, are underrated in a lot of aspects. So, I'm not going to give it a grade, but I'll just say that I was pretty pleased with their process. Uh, you know, only five picks. I think they made the most of it. Yeah, I'm with you there. Like, I I do this thing on my radio show down here on Fox Sports Upstate where I grade the drafts from like three years ago. I mean, that, that that's the only way I know how to do it because then I can see it's a draft and developmental grade that I do. And I I just and I know we know a lot of good people have been on this show before with us that that do the draft grades and I get it and I respect that I just I don't know how to grade it A B C or D because we don't know how these players are going to project yet but we can also look at the process and we talked about that it was a clean draft and they they certainly with with respect to Bryce Young and I assume they did this with a number of other prospects as well they they took the right process to to travel everybody together and and I think that it not only served them well in terms of getting eyeballs on these quarterbacks, but it gave this whole new group of people that are working together, some of whom for the first time together, along with the owner and Nicole Tepper, a chance to bond and, and get to know each other a little bit. So I, I think it was a really good process. Now, will it translate? We'll see, but it's all about Bryce Young and to get that rookie minicamp coming up this weekend. So I think the importance there is it gives him a chance early on to, to get a head up, get a heads up start on, on learning the offense. How do you process in the huddle? All that good stuff. But I'm I'm thoroughly excited about some of these young players, man. It's going to be fun. 
Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of optimism surrounding this team, and now um, all of the uh, all of our Twitter GM hats can be, <laughs> you know, put in the side, rear view mirror, and now oh, we yes. can actually watch how these guys perform on the field. And um, looking forward to it. And um, like you said at the top of the show, we're gonna do a breakdown of the schedule here when it's fully released. I know there's been some leaks here and there, uh, but uh, looking forward to doing that too, and kind of giving you our perspective on you know, how the Panthers set up uh, for the 2023 season. Uh, but for everyone, that's Billy Marshall, John Ellis. Thank you again for joining. And we'll- Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.